Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, that we could look back and we could lean on our staff and we can see your goodness all throughout our lives, even when we weren't serving you, Lord. Father, I lift up the persecuted church to you today, God. Father, I pray for those that today will be their last day on earth and they will their lives will be taken from them today, God, because of your name. Pray that you would welcome them into your heavenly kingdom, God. I pray for those that are here that are worshiping under persecution, Father. Pray that you would protect them, that you would strengthen them by the power of your name, that you would encourage them, that your word would continue to go forth. And I pray for the persecutors, Father. Father, that they would fall on their knees before you, that they would have dreams and visions, Father, and they would see that you, Jesus, are the Messiah, the one true God, the only way to heaven. God, that all the deception would fall, the scales, Father, would be gone, and their hearts would be broken for their actions, just as Paul was, Father. And that they would go forth, and they would radically change their homelands for you, Lord. And Father, I pray for the church in America, God. Father, that there would be no deception, that there would be no division, Father. I pray that you would strengthen pastors, Father. They would stand for righteousness, God. You would strengthen our pastor, Father. I pray, God, that the gospel that goes forth in churches all across this land today would not be watered down. That there would be the reality of heaven, the reality of hell, the reality of sin, and the reality of pride. Father, and how destructive it is. So we thank you and praise you for the opportunity we have to come together and worship you in spirit and in truth as a fellowship, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 
the Holy One of Israel. And we fix our eyes upon you, Jesus. For you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And it's all about you. So as we gather this morning, Lord, to open up your word, Father, to sit at your feet, to hear from you, Lord, I pray that we would be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Father, if there's areas in our lives of unconfessed sin, Lord, that we would, Father, recognize that it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. And that we would repent. We would get up and turn from what has held us captive and walk in the freedom in which you've provided for us. And if there's any among us today, Lord Jesus, who aren't in Christ, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And God, we know that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus. So may it be so today, Lord, that heaven will rejoice. So we thank you for the hope that's in Christ and in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Community. Good morning. <clears throat> Two definitions, again, I've been holding up over the past year. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And as you've been hearing over the past year, Jesus is the center of of the Christian community, as he is in the center of the Christian community, so he should be the center of the individual life of a Christian. Your new life in Christ is all for Christ. It's all Christ, and there's none of us in it. The Bible says, if you are a disciple of Christ, that you are to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and to follow him. We are to walk habitually in the spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh that we have been given the Holy Spirit and we're not to live lives that grieve him Jesus you all the Bible says he is the author and the perfecter of our faith it's all for him Unlike all the other communities out there, Jesus calls his community together because it's God's plan and God's purpose from the beginning of time to have a people that he will call his own and then in return they will call him their God. And you say, well, we've heard this over and over and over and over. But is it being applied? Do you truly have, and do we truly have, uh, the understanding of what it means to be a people that belong to God? A people who have learned to deny themselves, to pick up their cross. It's a daily denying of self. The cross is an instrument, a cruel instrument of death. And then to follow him. This is the life in which he has called us to. 
You see, we know and we've heard over and over as we've opened the word and have read the word that those apart from Christ, every man, woman, boy, girl, before they come to Christ, they are in rebellion towards Christ. Because the Bible says we're all sinners. And as I said last week, have you truly come to the understanding that you are an enemy of God? You're an enemy to the throne of God if you're not in Christ. Have you seen yourself? And has that humbled you to turn from that nature and turn to Christ? To make choices and decisions from here on, not based in and of yourself, but based on the truth of God's living word that radically transforms your life because of his grace. The power to transform because of his mercy. God, are we getting it? Do we truly see him for who he is? Do you see yourself belonging to God? Do you understand the price that has been paid? And the understanding of what it means to be a community of believers behind the enemy lines. To be a people that love the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their body, with all of their strength. We see it from the beginning all the way to the end. A people who label themselves the people of God, and yet they're so far from God. God has never been enough for them. God moves radically in their lives, reveals himself over and over and over and over, and they keep stiff-arming him because they're serving themselves. And as we're seeing, they may get rid of maybe some big things in their life, but there's those little things that they refuse to give up. And somehow they've convinced themselves that they're safe. But I'm here to tell us this morning that the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus washes you clean. Have you been washed by the blood? There's nothing to hold on to from your past life. There's no attitude. There's no desire. There's no need. Because everything you need now is in Christ. If your eyes have truly been opened, if your spiritual eyes have truly been opened, if you truly have had a rebirth, have you been born again of this new nature that craves now that which is of God? Not a divided heart, not a, not a, not a, not a religious attitude. There's, there's a lot of religious communities out there doing all the works, going through all the motion, stamping themselves Christians, following Christ, and yet there's no likeness of Christ in them. They make a mockery of His blood and of His power. They cheapen Him. They lessen His, his, his deity and yet somehow they think that they're on their way in. And I can't keep saying it enough. The level of deception. 
that has been in the earth, but it's rising and it's rising and it's rising and it's going to continue to rise as the days grow closer and closer to his return. Because we have to understand there is a warfare. And you said, but you've said this so many times, but do we, are we getting it? Because how are you getting up and managing your day? Keeping your eyes on Christ. Living in community as believers. And this is what I've been saying for, for many months now, that if you haven't grown in your desire to be among the church, something's wrong. Something's wrong with your Christianity. It's not man-made. It's God-purposed. It's God-purposed. And if you're a child of God, it's not about your timing. It's not about if it's convenient for you. You know, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they thought they were in right relationship with God. You couldn't have told them any different. But Jesus called them out for who they were. They were children of the devil. And they knew Scripture. They knew how to pray. They knew. And yet they were hindering people coming to Christ or coming to God. Remember, Jesus told him, you're making people twice as much the son of hell as you are. I've been thinking this morning about, you know, when Jesus talks about the the account of, of the Pharisee standing there with his hands raised and, oh, you know, he's praying these long-winded prayers and, oh, I'm glad I'm not a sinner and, you know, so pious. and But yet there's a man kneeling, beating his chest and, I'm a sinner. Who does God accept? The one that sees his need. The one who recognizes I am an enemy of your throne. In and of myself, all I know to do is to sin and rebel against your throne. And yet God has mercy on the sinner. God delivers the sinner And the sinner, as they call upon the name of Jesus, is saved. They are born again, and and let us hear this, of a new nature. We're not to continue to crave the passions and the desires of our old life before Christ. Because the Bible says we've nailed them to his cross. I don't care what that old life, what those old desires are. People are sitting in churches struggling because they haven't really grasped the application of what it means when you take your desires 
and everything of your old life and nailed it to His cross. You've crucified them there. You are a new creation. You are now craving the things, or you should be, the things of this nature. Who are you now? How am I to live? And community is vital. Because this, again, is God's purpose. It's not man-ordained, but it's God's purpose. That you belong to Christ. And in this, we have an understanding that the church is the body of Christ. He is the head. He is leading us to accomplish the fullness of all that He has established even before He spoke and the earth was formed. And we have everything out there, everything out there, distracting. I can't keep saying enough. It is a spiritual war. You are born of the Spirit. You can't live a Christian life out of your flesh. Even Paul rebukes the church and says, what are you doing trying to live out what you received in the Spirit in your flesh? It can't be done. I was thinking about the church this week, and I was thinking about the the birth of the church. As we're reading through Acts, and and Paul and, and these others are out there, and they're spreading the word. Like, I don't really know if we're grasping it. I mean, when I pray for us, and I got God, are we really grasping it? Are we really applying what we're hearing, or is the soil of our heart just not good soil? I mean, do we recognize who these people were? They aren't characters in a story. They were actual people whose lives were changed because they believed and called upon the name of Jesus and was born again. They were born again. Paul was a murderer. He hated Christians. And now he's out and about proclaiming the goodness of God. And people are radically being saved. Jews, Gentiles, liars, murderers, fornicators. I mean, you just name it. Like all walks of life. All nations and tribes and tongues. Everyone's beginning to hear this message of the one who has come to deliver us. To reconcile us back to our creator. And God is pleased to reveal himself to Jesus. And the eyes of men and women and children are being opened to truth. And their lives are radically changed forever. And they're turning the world upside down. The world has never heard anything like this. Then and now. Then and now. And so this community is being built from all walks of life. And they're not demanding their rights for how they used to live. We want to hold on to this. We want to hold on to that. No. 
They're learning what it means to live a surrendered life to Christ and to live it out together to accomplish His plan and His purpose, to announce His kingdom and to announce the good news, the gospel, to those who are still enslaved to that nature that is in rebellion towards his throne. Oh, how I pray that you are part of Christ, that you are in Christ, and in that you are in community, that you're growing and you're desiring to get up from where you've been and to truly mature in Christ, lest you be swept away and enticed to turn and go your way. Do we see truly who Jesus is? And in that, do we see who we are? Those who belong to him. Like we are to be about our father's business. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Scriptures again I've held up over the year to encourage us to, to live for Christ, to live in community. Since you have been raised to a new life, would you highlight that? Would you circle it? Would you go this week and really ask yourself, uh, be sincere in your evaluation of yourself, the new life. Not just uh, a little here and a little there. Well, I don't do that anymore. I don't do this and I don't do that. No, no, no. Do we truly understand what it means? You are a new creation. You have been raised to a new life. But I I really like what I like over here. And and do I really have to give up this? You see, that question alone shows that you still want to be in charge. If it's not honoring Christ, if it's not about advancing his kingdom, why are you holding on to it? Well, because I like it. It feels good to me. It's who I am. It's everything I desire and want. Well, that is to be nailed to his cross. I'm tired of, of hearing this gospel that's being peddled out there, just giving everyone the right to have, live however they want to live. You can have what you want, and you can live how you want to live, and you can even have your religion and slap Jesus on your name. But I'm here to tell you, that's not Christianity. And it's okay, live however you want. Do whatever you want, but I care enough about your eternity than your temporalness. Like so many people have dropped dead that I know this past week. (laughs) And I say, God help us. God help us. Over a hundred and some odd people in South Korea last night trampled, dead. They were just out having a good time. There's a hundred plus families now that don't have their family members with them. People just pursuing the temporalness of life. And listen, there's nothing that's good 
from the temporalness of life. It's leading you astray. Hey, Yvette, turn, mute your phone for me. There's nothing good. And yet we're pursuing it. And yet people wrestle with that. I don't want, I want what I want. And I want him to be who I want him to be. And make it easier for me. Well, that's not a disciple. I know we want everyone to go to heaven. You say, well, Rob, you sound like a broken record. Well, my God, has it not impacted your life? There's layers upon layers and layers upon layers of junk through the years of your life that's holding you back from hearing truth and allowing truth to set you free. It says, since you have been raised to a new life, and listen to this, with Christ. With Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. That's how we're supposed to be living. Do you give thought of that reality where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand? Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that look like for you? For me, for the community of believers. <laughs> and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So then, with this understanding, this is how you're to be living. Put to death the sinful earthly things looking within you. And how do we put them to death? Through Christ. Through Christ. Not of our own strength, but through Christ. Think about things of heaven. You see, the Bible tells us, how does He transform us? By changing the way we think. So put to death, he says here, the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And listen, he goes a little step further. He doesn't leave us ignorant, have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. You see, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. And remember who he's writing to. He's not saying this to the lost. This is to the church. He's reminding this group of people who have come from all walks of life. And he's reminding them, this is who you are now. This is how you're to be living. You're to be about your father's business. You're not supposed to hold, just hold a form of religion and deny his power to transform you. That's not being a Christian. Your life is to reflect the goodness of God because God is good and God is love. His desire is that none shall perish. And as we're reading, and man, as we're going to see today, His mercy and His compassion towards the people who hate Him. And yet we made it out that He hates us. 
But that's the enemy lying and distorting truth, keeping us enslaved to his power and to his realm. And yet God is pursuing. God is pursuing. Since we took our first breath, he is pursuing you. Lest we forget, before you were born, he formed you. He fashioned you. He knows you intimately. And he has been moving ever since to reveal himself to you so that you would call upon his name and be saved. And yet you want to keep messing around with the temporal things of life that leave you utterly destroyed with despair and insecurities and wounds and rejection and just junk. And yet God says, I'm your creator, and I've made a way for you to be restored to me. And in this way, through him, I will have you walk out what this newness of life looks like so that others who are still enslaved and in captive can see that this is true. This isn't just show. This isn't just talk. Remember what we learned years ago? The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's a life transformed. People see, yeah, you're different. You're not perfect, but there's something different about you. Oh, it's not something, it's someone who's made the difference. Man, like I wouldn't change who I am becoming. I can look back. I can say, man, as I said a few weeks ago, like when I talk about the old man, it's like talking about a dead person. I remember the things I did. I remember how I thought and all that junk. But I remember saying, Jesus, I just want to know this is all true. God, just just show me. God, I'll leave it all behind. I'll trust you. Like, it's not a, a story. It's a person. Like, he impacts our life in such a way that we are transformed. And again, we all come from brokenness. We all come from that state of being an enemy towards him. So it doesn't matter what our past is, our current struggles are. We know that there's hope that we can be delivered from them. Instead of having one foot in and one foot out, pretending, what good is that? When we're hearing the church being reminded Listen, there's temple prostitutes. There's, there's people sitting among the church in this time who were just out there, sprawled out on the steps of the temple, giving themselves over to everyone as an act of worship to the God that they worshiped. And God was pleased to reveal himself to them. They come to life. They leave it behind. And now they're coming into a church that is recently birthed on the earth, (laughs) loving Jesus. I don't know how, but what they do know is they know him. So God, I'm trusting you. The same thing with the Pharisee, the religious person, who their whole life held a form of religion, and all of a sudden their eyes are open. Oh, Jesus! And they begin to love Jesus, and now they're sitting next to an ex- Temple prostitute. 
And then you have one who maybe he lived a life of anger, maybe a thief, maybe a murderer, maybe a drunk, maybe a fornicator, maybe whatever their past was. And they're all gathered together to worship the one who had called them to a new way of life. This is the way. We're going to hear that today in Acts. When the people who were rebelling against the early church... They kept saying, these people are about the way. Like, come on. And just as it was then, so it is now. And it's been through every generation until he returns. The church is on the earth to reveal the glory of God through his son, Jesus. And so they're being reminded, listen, you're to be living a new life. And that's the standard for everyone in the church. Not just for the pastor, not just for this person or that person, but we all come at that same place. It's the same standard set. Because it's who we are now. So he says, have nothing to do with how you lived before. Learn differently. You've received the Holy Spirit. He is going to be your teacher. He is going to be the one who will bring conviction and truth to you. He will teach you all you need to know about Jesus and it will radically change your life. Radically change your life. You un- he says, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now, but now, but now... Is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. So put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and listen to this and become like him. You don't become him, but you become like him. Remember, we read a few weeks ago, like, we're to be living as Christ lived. That, that's not man's standard. That's God's standard. Because he's coming. And there's a world of people that are dying, who are lost, who are held captive. And they hate the truth. They don't want to hear it. But we still go. Not hating them. Not beating them over the head, but giving them an opportunity to hear truth. I I don't know if you saw the images of the people from South Korea who were trampled. As I was watching that video early this morning, I was just like, like, look at, they're they're on the ground, they're dying. I'm watching people die. They're all spread out. And I'm like, God, that breaks my heart. Jesus. I know if I moved with compassion, he's groomed even greater. That they rejected Christ. I go, Jesus. You see, I love when scripture tells us that Jesus came so that we won't have a fear of death. And as someone who, who wrestled with the fear of death the majority of their life, like, I 
can't tell you how liberating it is to see the freedom that's in Christ that death has been defeated. You see, the flesh will keep you focused on death, but yet it'll keep you bound to the temporal (coughs) that's dragging you to death. And so the church is being reminded, remember who you are. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. So just as it was then, so it is now, so it will be. This, this division that the enemy wants to sow into the church. And so we have this type of church, that type of church, this church that just focuses on this community and over here and it's division. And yet the Bible tells us that we are to be one mind, one purpose. Like we're not holding up everything that we claim back here, who we were. No, what is true about us now? Christ, we're Christians. So it doesn't matter what status we find ourselves in the world. No, because when we come to Christ, we're in Christ We're one people. We're one people. So since God chose you, who chose you? God. You didn't choose God. God chose you. God is pleased to reveal himself to you. That then you, in that revelation, just receive the fullness of what he has for you. Since God chose you to be the people to continue to live however you want to live. You said it's not what scripture says. No, no, it says, since God chose you to be the holy people. Remember what holy means, separate, set apart. He chose you to be the holy people he loves. So since this understanding, you must clothe yourself. Think about when you get, if you're calling yourself a Christian, if you're not a Christian, this is not going to make sense to you. But oh, how I pray that as you're hearing the word of God, that you would begin to be like, wait a minute. God is pleased to reveal this truth to me that I may respond. But if you are a Christian, this is how you're to be living. And so I, I, I just encourage you to go this week. If this isn't a pattern of of how you're living your life by allowing your mind to be renewed. See, there's stuff you're supposed to be doing. You're you're supposed to be putting away all the old. And look, it says, clothe yourself with tenderheartedness. Heartedness, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's how we're called to live. And yet we give our right to be so easily angered. We give our right to, to, we want mercy, but we don't want to extend it to anyone else. How sad. That's not how a Christian is supposed to be living. It says, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, like which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And I love this. <laughs> and that the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, 
You are called to live in peace. Always be thankful. That the message about Christ and all of the richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So do whatever, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative. Again, you're not living for yourself. You're not, you're not taking this and becoming a religious person. You can say, well, I came to church when I was a kid, or okay, I've seen church, I, I've been around Christians, and you say, ah, oh, but that's not for me. Well, you weren't around Christians. The reality is, is if you have sat in church and you and you have been in lives have been in your life, but you say, oh, "Okay, I see that. Oh, that's them. That's that," and yet they weren't upholding the standards of Christ. You see, people are going to hate the gospel. People are going to hate Christians because they hated Christ. But if your impact on Christianity is from a person who wasn't living as a Christian, then the reality is that you, that you have missed the mark of really paying attention to what the Scriptures say. You see, I looked at Christianity for the majority of my life as a weak religion. As a weak religion. I had every hatred. I had all hatred to Christians. Hey, if you all that's on Zoom, if you can mute your your audio for me. So if everyone who's on Zoom this morning, if you'll just mute your audio. So for the majority of my lives, for the majority of my life, Christianity was a weak religion. It's what it's who I base my opinion on those around me who were calling themselves Christians. In reality, they weren't. But after coming to Christ, I then began to see and recall people in my life that actually were Christians. The way they lived reflected what they believed. And somehow, in my deception back here, because that's how deception works, it kept me from really focusing on them. I focused on everyone else that named themselves as a Christian. Because as long as we focus on these people who claim to be Christ, but yet still run with the world, it's easier. It's easier to say that that's a weak religion. That God is not real. But hang around a Christian, you all. Hear the truth of God's word. Understand. Okay. So I don't know whose eyes you're on, you're focused on. First, your eyes need to be on Christ. And then you really actually need to get around some Christians. 
Give it, give it an opportunity to sit and to hear. Ask your questions. Again, don't focus on people who just name Christ and keep living however they want. That's not Christianity, you all. I'm here to tell you, not because of me, but study this. Like This is the living word of God. Like I can't tell you enough how radically it transforms people's lives. Listen to the church being instructed on what Christianity is, who Christ is. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Again, people are not going to be thrilled you're a Christian. But there will be some. Because the Bible says that to some you'll be a sweet fragrance of life. To others you'll be a stench of death because they know in the hearts of hearts that they're in rebellion to a living God. But they would rather have themselves than what God has for them. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Verse 2 to 3. Again, writing to the church. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Remember, again, as Christians, we're to think of others before we think of ourselves because we are called to a life to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow him. You see, Christ is our example. So how did Christ live? Who is Jesus? He isn't some man-made religion or God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's God's one and only Son. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe upon Him shall not perish, but have eternal life, you all. Like Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And He tells the disciples, I have to leave so that he will come, the Holy Spirit. You see, God's plan and purpose is not going to be thwarted because of our unbelief. From the beginning of time, there is a plan and a purpose that is in place. And it's happening before our eyes. You can't make up what's happening on the earth today. There is such a great awakening that's taking place spiritually, not just Christianity, but just spiritually because even the unsaved are recognizing. I, I was showing Norman that one guy I follow. He fascinates me. I love to listen to him. And as he's speaking, I'm praying because he's not saved. But this guy, and I'm like, God, like he's almost there. And his followers, like they're almost there. <laughs> because they're seeing things. And I remember back in the day when I was involved in all that brouhaha. All the occult, all the craziness, chimes, bells, whistles, scent, incense, crystals, all of it. <laughs> when your eyes are open, all that is temporal. Like when I used to, to minister to those who are in the occult, like I always tell them, do you understand? I get, what, I get what, why you're attracted to that. 
But I need to tell you, you're serving the lesser power. Can I tell you about the one who created all of that? Like, see, if you're so blind that you're choosing the lesser power as if this rock is going to give you something. Well, I can tell you about the one who created that rock. But come on, are we having conversations with people? Like, I don't have to yell at them. I don't have to fight with him, but I can just tell them I care enough about you. So when I hear this guy, and he's so articulate, and he's such, he's so amazing. I love just listening to him because he's got an incredible platform. And I just go, man, God, he's like almost there. Like, Lord, please. Like, people are waking up. You can't make up what's happening in the earth. You can't. You can't. And I told us over the years, you're going to start seeing the level of just stuff rising, rising, rising. And then the deception that is just out there. And people are just taking in news left and right. And they're on social media. And there's such a distraction to keep us down. (laughs) And not look and say, what's going on? Not just here, but it's throughout the earth. (laughs) It's throughout the earth. And then you turn to scripture and everything that's happening is all here. Word by word, page by page, event by event. And we think man wrote this. Man couldn't put this together as well as it's put together and accomplish everything that's happening. No, no. This is the living word of God. Man penned it, but God inspired it for you to hear it and then to respond to it. Like overnight, you all, the stage is being set. Like this is warfare, spiritual warfare. You have Satan. His realm. Remember the Bible tells you we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities there in the darkness. <laughs> you have the world system and the, the influence of the world that again is an enemy to God's throne and then you have yourself, the flesh. <laughs> and all three of them are out to keep destroy you. But God steps in and delivers you. And there's power in the blood of Jesus that frees you from all that has enslaved you back here. And so now we live in a way that we honor each other as we're honoring Christ and we're maintaining the peace and the harmony. Remember when Jesus says, peace, I leave you. I can't say this enough to you all. (laughs) Peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. It's Jesus' words. And man, when that hit me years ago, it's like, oh, but all I know is brokenness. And you're offering me peace, a, a wholeness that I don't even comprehend. I didn't comprehend it then. But as I sought him and as I grew and as I keep maturing, I'm like, oh, this wholeness is amazing. <laughs> I don't want to be broken. I don't want to remember what's back here. I don't want that to define me every morning when I wake up. And throughout my life. No. I want your peace to define me. I want this wholeness that is given to me 
to be what drives me to my knees to seek you, to say, yes, Lord, have your way. My life is not my own. I don't want to cling to my past or even my present that I'm trying to make up my, for myself. But no, God, remind me of your word. Go to James 5, verse 6. 16. Oh, 16. Thank you. James 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. And I've always said to you all, and this is where the religious institutions out there are getting it wrong. And that's why I keep saying, like, listen, the way church was done, okay, that was cute, that's whatever, but it hasn't produced disciples. No, no, no. We've got to be the church on the earth. And we have to understand, like, listen, everyone's got something going on. And we need to create an environment where we say, it's okay that you've got something going on. Drag it out in the light. Expose it. You're not going to shock us. <laughs> There's nothing that you all will ever do or get involved in or think or whatever that will go, oh, you know. Ooh. No, because we would be no different left to ourselves. So that's why there's a community of believers who come knowing we came from brokenness. And yet, though, we're walking, if you're a Christian, now you're walking in wholeness. There's going to be times because in Galatians, the Bible tells us that the flesh and spirit, they war against each other. And it's going to be a constant struggle until between the flesh and the spirit, until you take your last, last breath. And you say, well, who wants to live this way? Oh, I totally agree with you because I told the Lord years ago, wait a minute. <laughs> If there's no freedom in this, then you're a liar. And I'm not going to live for you. Like, there has to be truth. He says there is truth. Just apply it. Amen. Just apply it. And so when I started <clears throat> applying the truth, my life began to change. My life began to change. Your life will begin to change. And then I got to a place where I want to be free. And the only way to freedom is through transparency, first with God and then before man. There's nothing to hide. I don't care what you think of me. I'm living for one. I'm living for one. And I want to take all of the junk out and say, here... You say in your word to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. I don't have to be bound by shame. And I can come along the family of Christ. I can come along with mentors in Christ. And I can share and I can talk. I remember when Norma shared the depths of her being. But she kept one little thing hidden. Until years later she sat there on the couch. And began to share with Gilda and I. And if I'm not mistaken, you got up and you left. And she was so concerned after she left. What are they going to think of me? After all the hell we went through with her, that little piece of information, she's worried about what are they going to think of me? 
There's no difference in thinking. Because we knew who God was calling her to be. And so I say all of this to you because this verse is so important to the body of Christ, to the community of Christ. Confess your sins. Be real. Be transparent. Live in community. You're not going to be rejected. The only time the Christian community will reject is when you refuse to change. When you refuse to change, when you want to say, I'm a Christian, but I want to keep living the way I want. Well, no, then fine, go, because you're not going to remain here. We love Christ enough to say, oh no, you're making a mockery of Christ. And that is your choice. So we'll set you out, but we can't bring you in. Because you're going to be a stumbling block to other believers new believers, or unsaved people. Because they're going to focus on you. Well, he preaches every Sunday about this and that, but well, look at this person. They're running amok. Their lives are this, 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 and that. Well, that's how they can get away with that. I'll get away with it. See, it's, it's the most craziest thing. So that's why this standard, that's why Jesus laid out the standard on how to correct the things that are happening in the church and the community that he's purposed. Because it's all for him, you all. It's all for Jesus. And we put people out in hopes that they would return. You know, Paul tells the church in these words, turn that man over to Satan in hopes that his soul will be saved. That's how he wants to live. Turn him over to it. In hopes that he will be saved. I've had to set a few people out. It's the hardest thing to do. I had to cut ties with people. They didn't come here, but I had to cut ties with them. Mentoring them, counseling them, because it just, they wanted to be who they wanted to be. And I loved them enough just to Turn them over. And they all know one thing. Maybe in that moment when they're turned over, they don't remember. But time will pass and I get the emails or I get the phone calls. Can I talk to you? You see, because they know good and well that I love them still. She said, I love Christ more. And if you're going to make a mockery of him, then do that on your own time. I remember sitting down with a young man that I just love. Young worship leader. And y'all maybe heard this story before and he sat down and he wanted to tell me that he was coming out. That he was gay, he was leaving the ministry, he was going to live however he wants. And as you've heard this story before, I was sitting there eating my soup, letting him talk. We were just having a conversation. But the moment that he wanted to start sexualizing Jesus, <clears throat> the approval of sexual sin, and all this other stuff, I put down my spoon and I told him, okay, that's the line you're not going to cross with me. You are justifying how you want to live out the desires that you're feeling, which these desires 
If you're a Christian, you've nailed them to the cross, just like any other desires. You see, your sin is no different than any other sin. (laughs) But what you won't do is disrespect Jesus. I didn't disrespect you. I haven't said anything to you. I've listened. But now you want to spill your filth in your lives about Jesus. And this is where the conversation will stop. And he just kind of looked at me. He's like, oh, I said again, brother, I will always love you. But above all, he'll always love you. But remember, his love is not salvation. And I keep telling you all this. You can go out there and talk to people. They say, God loves me. Well, yes, he does. See, that's true. That's true. God loves you. But that's not salvation. What did he do because of his love for you? He gave Jesus. Remember? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Salvation. So what are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing? You see, he's the author and the perfecter of your faith. So what are you doing with him? Because you could choose to go live however you want. His love is never going to cease and nor is my love, I told him. But I'm like, man, all those years you worshipped him and you didn't know him. So go have your fill. Go run amok. Because that's all you're going to have, Brother. See, sometimes you just have to have real conversations. I don't have to fight with him. I don't have to tell him. I don't have to scream at him. But I'm not going to allow someone to dismiss Jesus in front of me. Nor should you if you're truly a believer. And your life backs up what you're saying. (laughs) You have to have conversations with people. Always leave love because love wins, you all. So I told Norma, through the years I've walked with her, through some of the darkest seasons, no, my love will always win. And it does. But if you reject love, love wins. Because love, he loves you enough to give you what you want. Remember we've studied weeks ago, God turns you over because of his love. If you don't want to love him, it's fine. He turns you over to what you want. It'll rule you, it'll master you, it'll lord over you, it will kill you. That's why I always say, why would you choose God's wrath over his love? So confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Go to 2 Corinthians. Scriptures that I hope to encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus. 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay, jars containing this great treasure. And I love this. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. It has nothing to do with us for what we're carrying inside of us. 
the gospel, the truth, the power to see lives transformed by declaring Jesus. Go to verse 18 of chapter 4. Oh. So we don't look back at all the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So again, we are called to not focus on the temporal things of this world, not even to really focus on the trials or or the testings that you're enduring. You're not even to focus to to, 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 to sin and, and even to temptation. No, in all of that, look to Christ. I said, Father, you, your word says you make a way out of every temptation. So I want to see that way, Lord. Your word says, God, that trials and testings, they have to come. So I'm tired of asking you to get me out of them. Hmm. What I want from them is for why they are there. Why are they purpose? To produce something within me. So don't take me from it until I grow in it. And yet we're so quick. Oh, take it off, take it off. Why is this happening? Because we're focusing all over here. And that's, if you're a believer, that's not where you're to be focused. Look up. Father, you said you're never going to leave me nor forsake me. If it all goes away tomorrow, God, you are still present. You understand the hope that you can have. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. There's the hope of the resurrection, you all. <laughs> Keep your eyes on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Rather, you're in Christ or outside of Christ. All of us are going to stand before him. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. And then 2 Corinthians 5, and Carrie, I'm adding this. You don't have it in the notes, but it's 5, verse 14 through 18. Either way, Christ's love controls us. I love that. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, oh God, can we hear this? We also believe that we all have died to our old life. Again, if you're a Christian, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer, highlight that, circle that, meditate upon that this week, live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have, we, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. But how differently we know him now. You've been born again. This means that everyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. 
And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. See, that's the message that we have. Come to Christ, repent, turn from your old ways, be born again, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, live for Christ until he comes and brings you home. This is the good news, you all. This is the good news. I've been holding up the Heidelberg Catechism to you over the past year. We're on Lord's Day 31. And again, you say, why are you, why, are you, why are you reading this? Why are you giving this to us? Because again, you should be able to defend the faith. Listen, we've got to live as Christians. We've got to live as Christians. We've got to start encouraging and edifying. That's what I've said. If, if you've been here this whole year, you've heard about community, but you don't desire to be in community when we're together, something's wrong. Something's wrong with your Christianity. Like we should desire to be together, to do life with each other, to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. Iron sharpens iron. Encouraging each other. Keep living for Christ. Keep living for Christ. You stumbled, get up. <laughs> Keep living for Christ. Keep living for Christ. Christ, Christ, it's all Him, Jesus. And you say, well, that's pretty fanatical. Well, how else do you want one to live who says they're a Christian? Because when you read his word, that's what he says. See, I believe with every fiber within me. Because <laughs> I've seen him move in ways. I mean, I can't dismiss him. And I've always told you. If you're ever going to turn from him, you have to look at the cross and say it wasn't enough to get back to who you were. But what would you go back there for? That's why he asked the disciples, are you leaving too? And they go, where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. You hold the words to eternal life. See, y'all, it's the very depth of your being. I'm not living to please man. <laughs> no, no. I just, want to, I just want to love Jesus, you all. I just want to be around people who just want to love Jesus and be about his business. I love the lost. I love in, in talking to them, being around them, living among them. But there's something about the community of believers. Because we all know what God is doing in our lives. We're not perfect until we're with him, but we're maturing. We're maturing. But we all come from the same place brokenness, but we're walking out this newness, this new life, this new life. What is it? What is it? And people should see it in your life. Ultimately, you should see it. Because he's real, you all. You can't make this stuff up. Like, he's real. I might hear testimonies after testimonies after testimonies of lives that were, like, you would be like, oh, that's, uh, there's no hope for them. But no, God is moving in all these other communities that are out there. And God is delivering people. And they're not bound to a church tradition. No, they're bound to Christ. And that's the difference. Be bound to a church. That religious institution is leading you to hell. Be bound to Christ. Be bound to Christ. Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. So this catechism 
it's just a tool to, to help you to be able to understand whom you're believing in. How to defend the faith. And so, Lord's Day 31, question 83 Someone may ask you, so these questions are as if someone is asking you these questions, and then the answer, you should be equipped to give. And it's all scriptural. So if someone asks you, what are the keys to the kingdom? Because the Bible says, he's given us the keys to the kingdom. Well, the answer is, the preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline toward repentance. Both of them open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. Question 84, how does preaching the Holy Gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? Well, here's the answer. According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is open by proclaiming and publicly declaring to all believers, each and every one, that as often as they accept the gospel, promises in true faith, God, because of Christ's merit, truly forgives all their sins. The kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. And then finally, question 85. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by Christian discipline? Well, according to the command of Christ, those who... Though called Christians profess unchristian teachings or live unchristian lives, and who after repeated personal and loving admonitions refuse to abandon their errors and evil ways, and who after being reported to the church, that is, to those ordained by the church for that purpose, fail to respond also to the church's admonitions, such persons the church excludes from the Christian community by withholding the sacraments from them. And God also excludes them from the kingdom of Christ. Such persons, when promising and demonstrating genuine reform, are received again as members of Christ and his church. And so I say to you, I know it's a lot to hear, but you get the notes. (laughs) And I would just encourage you all to, to take these questions, take the answers, Go look up scripture. Sit down with it. And say, God, how is this speaking to me? Do, do I truly understand? And if you don't, spend some time with me. I'm available. It could be via Zoom. It could be in person. Whatever's needed. Like if you're truly seeking Christ to truly know him, then learn of him. He's the great teacher, you all. It's all we have for people is Jesus. Go to 2 Kings chapter 13. Walking through scripture in hopes that you will know your God. Listen. There's something beautiful about what we're seeing as we're walking through scripture. Because hopefully it's changing our the lies that we've been hearing about God. You see, I keep telling you, you can't learn of God. You can't understand theology from the enemy, from the world. There's a lot of people want to learn about Jesus and Christianity on TikTok. Well, that's not the place to learn about Jesus and Christianity. The majority of the stuff that's out there, it's false. There's some solid stuff, but the majority of it is false. And it's it's confusing even more generation of people that's actually seeking truth. You need to be in a biblical 
church who's teaching the scriptures and holding the uh, everyone to accountability to Christ. To Christ. So as you get to know him, as you get to see him, I'm hoping that these strongholds, which are patterns of thinking that are contrary to the truth of God's word. Like we see him one way, but the reality is, do you know him? Like again, the majority of my life, I hated him. <laughs> because I was told how much he hated me. I mean, from a young age, I was told constantly how much God hated me. Think about that. So I hated him. I hated him. But now that I know him, I'm like, God has lied to all those times. But God, you were pleased to reveal yourself to me. Man, such great love. Such great love. He could have just let me perish. But that's not his desire for any of us, you all. Like he wants to reveal himself to you. So as we hear scripture today, listen to what you can pick up on about the character of God. Chapter 13. So again, we see Israel. They're divided. They're Civil war with each other, Israel, Judah, northern, southern kingdom. It's a hot mess of what the people of God has gotten themselves into. But remember the reason why is because they kept looking at the other nations going, well, why, if they worship that way, their God that way, why can't we worship our God that way? Or why can't we introduce that form of worship in what we have? Remember, God all along told them, no, no, you're my people. And God even warned them, don't look at other nations like I'm God. I'm God. I'm your God. And yet, they've made a mess of things. And these kings keep rising up the power. Some do what's right, but they don't get rid of everything. Some are just pure evil. And we've been learning about them. But all along, who's been consistent? God. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. He hasn't. He's been... Very stable and consistent. Slow to anger, merciful, punishes. <laughs> but he's God. And so now we pick up in chapter 13. <laughs> Jehoaz, son of Jehu, began to rule over Israel in the 23rd year of King Joash's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 17 years, but this is, I want you to keep hearing. Here's, here's verse 2. But he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He followed the example of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, continuing the sins that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. So the Lord was angry with Israel. And he allowed King Hazel of Aram and his son Ben-Hadad to defeat them repeatedly. God used another nation as a form of discipline against his people. They won't follow his ways. And I was thinking about this as I was studying this week. It's fascinating. These people know and they've heard over and over and over about the covenant that God had with them. Remember we just read last week with the other king, God renewed the covenant with them. So they know. But they're so, and that's how we are in the flesh. That's how we are in the flesh. We're so deceived. 
and we just settle for what we're being told. And we're just craving what we want to crave. And we're just producing what, we're, what we want to produce. Like if any moment these people of Israel is like, wait a minute, this isn't serving God. The king may not tear down the idols, but we're going to. And I've said before in these communist closed countries, there's just like 1% is what's ruling over everyone. <laughs> and if everyone was like, hey, wait a minute. Like we're allowing just a few people to dictate how we're going to live? Oh no, and they rose up, like things would change. But the flesh, the people of the flesh, we like our captivity. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Oh, think of the days before you came to Christ. I liked my brokenness. I thought that was me, myself, and I. That's who I was and whatever. I was a slave to my emotions, to my feelings, to my desires and everything. <laughs> and the mindset that, that, they, that you create. And so these people have created a mindset. They're being deceived. They're being distorted. And I'm just like, wow. And so it's no different here. This king is ruling, but he's not leading as he should. He's not honoring God. He's allowing things to continue. So what God in his anger does is, and he tells them, you see, everything that God does, he's already told them. Like we already know, it's already been told that, oh, you're going to be taken into captivity. (laughs) And it's going to be pretty bad. Not because I'm a bad God. It's just that you all keep refusing me. And so we see here, then Jehoaz prayed for the Lord's help. So now in this discipline, Jehoaz, the king, Pray for the Lord's help and listen to this. This is what I love. And the Lord heard his prayer. For he could see how severely the king of Aram was oppressing Israel. So the Lord provided someone. Oh, can someone say, amen, highlight that. There's some hope in the midst of this chaotic situation. So the Lord provided someone to rescue the Israelites from the tyranny of their Arameans. Then Israel lived in safety again as they had done in the former days. See, God restored them again. As soon as this wicked king turned to the Lord, called upon the Lord, God heard his prayer and God responded. God always responds to restore, not to keep you enslaved. And so now the people are back living in safety. God's moved in my life. Oh, everything's gone. I'm just feeling blessed. (sighs) Verse 6. But they continue to sin. (laughs) Following the evil example of Jeroboam, they also allow the Asherah pole in Samaria to remain standing. Finally, Jehoiah's army was reduced to 50 charioteers to chariots and 10,000 foot soldiers. The king of Aram had killed the others, trampling them like dust under his feet. The rest of the events in Jehoram's reign, everything he did and the extent of his power recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When Jehoash died, he was buried in Samaria. Then his son Jehoash became the next king. 
Now Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, began to rule over Israel in the 37th year of King Jehoahaz's reign in Judah. He resigned, I'm sorry, yeah, he reigned in Samaria 16 years, but, again, this is why we're reading this, I want you to hear it, but he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nephat, had led Israel to commit. The rest of the events of Jehoash's reign and everything he did, including the extent of his power and his, and his war with King Amaziah of Judah, are recorded in the book of the histories of the king of Israel. When Joash died, he was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Then his son, Jeroboam II, became the next king. And so then the writer takes a detour to Elisha, the prophet. So when Elisha was in his last illness... King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. Mm. Then the his, then. He commanded, open the eastern window, and he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arabians at Epic. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. <laughs> but the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. A group of Moab raiders used to invade the land each spring. One, once when some of the Israelites were burying a man, they, they spied a band of these raiders, so they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and fled. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man received, revived and jumped to his feet. And you say, the writer went this way. And why would he interrupt about the kings to let us know about Elisha? And this dead man touching Elisha's bones and being revived. Ah, it's a good question if you asked it. And here's the answer. God moves in such a prophetic way for his people. This was just yet another understanding that God is going to raise them up. They are people who are in complete rebellion towards him. <clears throat> Dead. Dead. But life will return to them. And then you can take it a little bit further and go to Ezekiel and read Ezekiel's prophecy. When God spoke to Ezekiel and said, speak to those bones, those dead bones. Mm -hmm. And e Ezekiel began <coughs> to hear of the rattling of the bones. And God was raising up an army. God, if you would just study prophecy, you all. <laughs> Chapter, I mean, verse 22. King Hazel of Aram 
have oppressed Israel during the entire reign of King Joias. But the Lord was gracious. Oh, I like this, you all. Know your God. But the Lord was gracious and merciful to the people of Israel, and they were not totally destroyed. He pitied them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to this day, he still has not completely destroyed them or banished them from his presence. King Hazel of Aram died, and his son Ben-Hadad became the next king. Then Jehoash, and uh, son of Jehoash, recaptured from Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazel, the towns that had been taken from Jehoash's father, Jehoash, Jehoash defeated Ben-Hadon on three occasions and he recovered the Israelites' town. And so, hopefully I send the scriptures out to you that you read through chapter 14. We don't have time to go through chapter 14. But yet Amaziah, son of Joash, became to rule over Judah. And if you read through again, you see that they go so far in honoring God, but they refuse to go all in. And how sad, you all. How sad. And I pray that's not what could be written about you. That you went so far, but you didn't go all in. Like, oh no. When it comes to Jesus, you just don't go so far and say, oh, I got enough. No, you go all in. You go all in. Go to Acts chapter 18. And if you didn't read chapter 14, read it this week. Join us Wednesday night. We're going to discuss it. But Acts chapter 18, verse 23. We're going to go to Acts chapter 19, verse 12. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul went back through Galatia and Perga, visiting and strengthening all the believers. I love that. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside, and I love this picture. They took him aside, and then rebuke him in public. They took him aside. And explain the way of God even more accurately. Apollos had been thinking about going to Acacia. And the brothers and sisters in in Ephesus encouraged him to go. So they wrote to the believers in Acacia, asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments and public debate using the scriptures I'm sorry, using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. And again, we hear that yet again. What did he use? Scripture. That's all we have, you all. Scripture. We're going to read chapter 19 through verse 12. When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the entire, I'm sorry, the interior region until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them? No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. 
Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all, and yet again, we see the Holy Spirit's outpouring, impacting the lives of believers. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But, there you go, some became stubborn, rejecting his message, and listen, publicly speaking against the way, this new way, this Christ-messaged way. (laughs) So once that happened, Paul left the synagogues and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall They went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. And God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons were, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched Paul's skin, his skin, were placed on sick people, They were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. Like, listen, y'all, I hope that excites you. Like, when I read this, I'm like, God, this is is incredible. Like, this is the church moving in their time throughout these regions, spreading the good news. God is showing up and doing miraculous things among them. People from all walks of life are being delivered. Coming to Christ, and the world is being turned upside down. Amen. See, that's what we're called to do, you all. To be about our Father's business, to know your God. <clears throat> to know your God. Like there's work to be done. The hour is growing near to his return. And how's he going to find us? Oh, I pray that he find us faithful. Go to Psalm 146. We're closing. Psalm 146. Psalms 146. I encourage you. Read the Psalms, you all. Spend some time in the Word if you're not. If that's not part of your discipline, you need to start being disciplined in your life. Instead of just living recklessly. Especially if you're calling yourself a believer. There's a way in which you are to live. Praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There's no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth. And all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper. Oh, is he your helper, you all? Whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind 
The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. He will be your God, O Jerusalem, throughout the generations. Praise the Lord. Oh, how worship should be part of your life, you all. Understanding what that is. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Proverbs. Two nuggets of wisdom (coughs) I'm going to throw at you. Proverbs 18, verse 2 and 3. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air out their opinions. Doing wrong leads to disgrace. And scandalous behavior brings contempt. There is a way in which we're called to live, you all. And oh, how I pray that you're living for Christ. I'm going to close us with this last song. And then I'll close us in prayer. Yeah.